evening, good evening. Hope you're doing well. Great to see you here. Hope you've uh, managed to enjoy and not detest the snow too much. It's a little bit crazier. On Thursday, I was genuinely getting excited for the summer. Was anyone else kind of starting to think about... I was hanging out with someone who was wearing flip-flops. And then the next day, people were wearing snow boots. I mean, only in England can you go from sandals to snow boots in less than 24 hours. It's been a little bit mad. But hey, you made it here. That's the main thing. And uh, it's really great to see you and great to have you here. We're going to be continuing in our Move series. Um, and to get you thinking, no, this won't really get you thinking, but you know I like asking a question at the start. So uh, I want to ask you the question of this. Who here has ever met the Queen? Anyone ever met the Queen? No one. Oh, I, got, I see a hand in the back there. Precious, you're lying to me. Nah, Precious, nah, she's saying that. I would love to meet the Queen. Is any, does anyone here watch The Crown on Netflix? Any Crown fans? Amy is too big of a fan. Like, if you like The Crown... Don't talk to Amy because it will ruin it for you, her overexcitement about it. But um, the crown, the queen, all this kind of stuff, it's made me think I would love to meet the queen one day. I'd absolutely love to meet her. It would be so cool. I think she's a remarkable lady. I'd absolutely love to meet her. Now imagine this. Imagine if you got a letter one day from the palace to say that the queen wanted to come and have dinner at your house. How would you be feeling if you got that letter through the post? probably in like gold embossed writing or something like that. How would you feel in that moment? I can imagine a whole lot of different thoughts and feelings would probably cross your mind. I mean, it would be a little bit confusing and strange. And then when you realize it was actually legit and it was going to happen, you would start to freak out a little bit. I mean, I would anyway. I mean, I can't imagine the queen coming to my house. Like, it's, it's nice and all, and we've got some nice sofas and stuff off eBay recently to make it a little bit more homely. But it's not kind of the standard she's used to, you know what I mean? I mean, this isn't just someone who has a one or two houses. She has castles and palaces, like Buckingham Palace. That's not even her main residence. It's just her, like, bit on the side that she goes to, you know, and she's got to do business. Like, that's crazy. Buckingham Palace alone. Apparently, how many rooms do you think it has, Buckingham Palace? Any, any? 775. 775. Mad, in central London. So we all know that's going to cost a few pennies. To run it, 426 staff look after Buckingham Palace. Mad. Amy, you should know this. I thought you were a crown expert. 426 staff. The Queen's family's worth 60 billion pounds. 60 billion pounds. And there's all sorts of rules and etiquette about what you're supposed to do when you meet the Queen. Did you know that? I found this out recently. Like, I found out because I was Googling what you do when you meet the Queen. And there's actually an official royal family webpage about the etiquette and when you meet her. So, for example, when you meet her, the first time you meet her, you're supposed to greet her as, Your Majesty... And I don't know why it has been a posh voice, but that is how I would speak to the Queen. Uh, you greet her as Your Majesty, and then it says, after that, you should greet her as Mom, and then in brackets it says, as you say, Jam. So I'm thinking it must be Ma'am, but it sounds too American to me. I mean, no offence to Abby and any other Americans here. I'm half American myself, but I'm not going to call the Queen Ma'am. I'm going to call her Mom. So maybe it's if you say Jam in a posh way in the palace. They think that makes sense, I guess, but anyway... There's all these rules like you're not supposed to reach out your hand and offer it to her. She has to offer you her hand to shake first. All sorts of rules and etiquette. So picture this. She comes into your lounge. She sits on your sofa if you've got one. 
And imagine with me as well if you uh, had your 12-year-old nephew with you sat in the lounge with you. And you're chatting, you're chilling out, talking about stuff you talk about with the queen. And all of a sudden, your 12-year-old nephew vomits all over himself. Like he just chucks up all over himself. How would you feel in that moment? And how would you feel if before you had a chance to even get out of your chair, the queen had jumped out of her seat, dashed to the other side of the room, and then got down on her knees to start cleaning up the sick, getting it all over a nice, pretty Versace dress or whatever she wears. I don't know, Gucci, I don't know what the queen wears. Amy? I don't know. Soprada. How would you feel in that moment? She's on her hands and knees in your lounge, cleaning up sick. And you run over to her and you'd be mortified, saying, no, 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 oh, please, no, mom, please, no. I mean, allow me. And imagine, imagine this, if in that moment, from her knees, she looks up at you and says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. I'm here to serve you. How on earth would you feel in that moment if the queen said that to you? Probably have a bit of an impact on how you felt about her. Might shape a little bit what you felt about what leadership was. What it meant to serve. It's probably going to have a bit of an impact the next day when you're at your mate's house and there's some mess that needs clearing up. Might shape how you feel about doing that job. A moment like that would change your life. But unfortunately, that's just a fictional tale. It'd be amazing if it had happened. The papers would love it. It would be an incredible story. But that's just fictional. However, something like that story, very close to it, in fact, did happen once. But it was far more extraordinary, far more controversial, far more incredible. And we're going to look at it today. We'll be reading about it in John chapter 13. If you've got a Bible with you, always encourage you. If you've got the chance, bring a Bible along with you. If not, grab it on your phone. John chapter 13, we'll be reading about this. And this story, when you fully grasp what's going on, it won't just change the way you view leadership or serving. It will change how you view everything in your life. So we're going to be reading in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. The words will be up on the screen. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father for him to die, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, did what? He rose from supper. He got up. Then it says, he laid aside, he put down his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Crazy. Crazy. What on earth is going on here? 
or to get the full gravity of it, it can help to understand a little bit of the culture and the context of this story. So in that time, in first century uh, Palestine, in uh, that kind of Jewish context, being in your role, being in your uh, societal responsibility was massive. Now, when we go to a house now, what's one of the first things we say when we get, is this a, is this a shoes off or shoes on sort of place? But back then the question was, who's washing the feet? Now, if you went to a poor person's house, you've got to wash them yourself. But if they were rich, you're in luck. There'll be a servant who could do the dirty job for you. But what wouldn't happen is the man of the house would never wash your feet. No, 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 no. That's not part of his role. It would be just controversial and wrong for him to do that. And in many cultures, if you're following these cultures, you'll know that sticking to certain societal roles is seen as extremely important in honor-based cultures. You stick to that role. In Britain, we don't get that. But in many parts of the world still today, we understand that. It's why when Jesus goes to watch Peter's feet, he is shocked. He's not happy. He's, he says in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. He's like, how, Jesus, what are you doing? See, Jesus was not only the man of the house, the host of the event. He was their leader. Not only was he their leader... He's God. The one who even Queen Elizabeth says that she bows down to. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. And in this final message to his disciples, he doesn't say to them, all right, guys, it's time for you to bow down at my feet. Instead, it's him who does the kneeling. Crazy. He's modeling the kingdom of God. The upside down, radically different, countercultural kingdom of God. It's always preached about his whole ministry. Open any of the gospel books that recount the life of Jesus, and you'll see verses like this Love one another. The first shall be last. If you want to be the greatest, become the least. That's what he's been teaching all along, and he's just modeling it. In such a powerful way. In verse 13, he explains this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And yep, you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now we've got to remember as well, when we look at the story of where this fits, Jesus is about to be crucified. These are one of the last opportunities he has to say anything to his disciples. What would you do in that situation? You've got one last opportunity to say anything, to do anything in front of your disciples. What would you do? For Jesus, this is what he picks. So we know this is of utmost importance to him. So important to him. Why? Well, I think there's three big reasons, and we're going to take a look. So if you're a note taker, here's your first point. Serving brings freedom. Freedom. Freedom from self. Freedom from self-absorption. Theologians Augustine and Luther taught that the root of sin is a, a bending in towards oneself. What does that mean? A self-obsession, that the root of our sin is that we are obsessed with me. 
instead of looking to the needs of others. And I find that a theology that's pretty easy to, uh, to get on board with understanding. Uh, I, think, I think they're right. I think it is the root of sin. I don't have to look very far to know why. Because I see it in my own life all the time. And I see it around me all the time. I'm sure you do too. It's the, the reason why we talk about ourselves so much. We love to talk about ourselves. Why we gossip to bring others down. It's why, despite being one of the wealthiest nations on the entire planet, the average Brit gives less than 0.5%, less than half of a percent away to charity. It's about me. I'm not giving my money away. It's why we think our baby is the cutest. It's why we call shotgun so we can get the best car seat for ourselves. It's why we get defensive when someone questions our opinion. It's why we love taking so many selfies. And talking of photos, it's the reason why when we look at a group photo, where's the first place you look? And if you don't look good in it, it doesn't matter if everyone else looks perfect, no one blinked, they all look amazing. If you look bad, nah, bad photo. That's not going online. No, 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 bad photo. It's true, isn't it? We're slaves to ourselves. That's why Jesus says that the most important thing that you can do, the most freeing thing that you can do, he says it sums up the whole of the Bible, is love God and love others. Prioritize not you, but others. And in doing so, you receive freedom as well. Alcoholics Anonymous has been done by millions of people around the world since it started over 80 years ago. And they've developed something called the 12-step program. Anyone heard of that 12-step program? The 12 steps of becoming free of your addiction. Now, many of us have heard the famous first step of being free from addiction. Many of us have heard of it. The first step to overcoming an addiction is admitting you have a problem. Admitting you have a problem. But most of us don't know what the 12th step is. That'd be interesting to know. I mean, this is the last step to finalize your freedom. The 12th step of the AA program is this. Help another alcoholic. Help someone else. Why? Because if you want to be free, you have to help others. See, the AA have, t- uh, have tapped into the truth, that Jesus' truth, that when you help others, not only are they blessed, but you're blessed in the process because serving brings freedom. Point number two. So first one, serving brings freedom. Number two, serving gives purpose. Gives purpose. Serving helps you to see that you're part of something bigger, that you're not just an island isolated, but you have a part to play. The Bible describes it this way. It says the church is one body, but many parts all with a different role, but all needed for the body to be healthy. And we say, yep, yep, uh, you've probably heard that verse preached here before. Yep, I've heard that. But I think in some of our attitudes towards different serving roles, we might actually subconsciously think otherwise. It's why we can look at certain roles, maybe public ones or, or ones that we've aspired to and we think, oh, like I just, I really want to do that. That's the one with real influence. That makes a real difference. That's really important. And equally we think, 
oh man, I'm definitely never doing that job. Like, man, that's, oh, thank you, Lord, someone else is doing that one. That is, nah, nah, nah. And I think it's easy through comparison to assume that certain roles play a more important part than others. But in many ways, serving is a bit like a Rolex watch. Now imagine with me for a minute, this is a Rolex. It's actually a 20 quidder from Argos, but pretend it's uh, an expensive Rolex. Now you can look at that watch and say, wow, that is amazing. I mean, look at the face on that watch and just how the, the second hand, I mean, the, the, the kind of the small diamonds around it and the, the gold plating on the strap, like it's incredible. Just the, the detail and how that, that minute hand is just so smooth when it ticks. I mean, it's, oh, it's amazing. And just the glisten of the, oh, just, I love how the numbers are just, oh. and we can think, oh, that's amazing. I wish, oh, you know, if I, oh. but the reality is a Rolex watch is far more than what you can see on the surface. The average Rolex, Rolex has 204 different pieces, most of which you will never see. And it's easy to look at the, the glitz and the glam and the outside and be like, wow, isn't that amazing? Whereas actually most of the ones you can see actually have little functional role on the watch. They're important, they're needed. But some of the most significant parts of a Rolex watch are the smallest ones that you'll never see. Every part of it needing to come together to create something beautiful. Every part having a role. And I think it's important to remember that because in church life we can easily, in the daily, weekly grind of serving, lose a little bit of sight of that. So if you're on the kids' work, you might find yourself on a Sunday, I know some of you uh, not just come in the evenings, but come Sunday mornings, which is amazing. But maybe it's a Sunday morning, you want to lie, and you've got up, you've gone to kids' work, you're clearing up squash that spilled on the floor, and you're trying to get the kids to just listen to you. Like, you've been practicing this, preparing for this, and none of them care. Like, they're just not listening. You're thinking, why do I even bother? Like, why am I here? You can be tempted to think this is a bit pointless. But the truth is, as a kids' worker... You are having a massive impact, a huge impact. You are telling a kid that they are loved and that there's a God who cares about them. You are taking time to teach truth to a generation who every day of their life are being bombarded with lies. And you have the opportunity to preach the gospel truth to a generation who so desperately needs it. Your work from the clearing up to the, of the squash to teaching the Bible stories to giving them a high five, whatever it is, is building a foundation in their life that will last for years to come. You have an impact. You have a purpose. If you're on the stage team, that's the band or the PA or the AV, you might be thinking, what am I doing? Like the projector's broken again or where the mics are giving feedback and like we, we were out of time again or, you know, why are we practicing all these songs? You might think, what is the point of all this? Like I get the words wrong, people have a go when I get them right, no one says anything. Like why am I even here on this job? You might think, I'm, you know, what, what's the point? Well, the truth is you're not just here to make things sound good or look pretty. You're here to help people worship Jesus without distraction or hindrance. What you do is so important. Without you, it would be so much harder to focus on God. 
engage with him week in, week out. So valuable. You have a purpose. If you're on the host team, you might think, Psh, I'm just putting out chairs. I'm just pouring coffees. I'm just shaking hands on the door and I don't even think, like, my handshake, I'm just, uh, what am I even doing? Like, I'm awkward, I'm cold, I'm packing down chairs, my small talk game is poor, like, what am I even doing on hosting? Like, what difference does this make? And I really felt like God wanted me to, 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 to word it like this. I felt like God wanted to say that if you're on the host team, you're a preacher. Every person who comes through that door you're preaching a message to saying, you are welcome here. You're valuable. You know, there's people who come into this door who've never been to church before and they're freaking out thinking, I've had negative experiences with Christians before and you smiling on the door and shaking their hand and having that conversation is saying, you could make this your home. What you do has massive importance. You have no idea the stories of people coming through that door. No idea. You might have made someone's day who's had an argument with a family member that day and finally think, oh, okay, there's someone here who I can just relax. I can be myself here. You never know the story. I heard of a story of someone who came to this church who'd been planning to kill themselves. Suicidal. Planning to end it. And through coming to this church, the welcome they received here, the warmth they felt, the hope they received. They decided that life was worth living. That could have been your handshake. That could have been the conversation you had that you just thought was a bit of small talk. That could have been you inviting them to your community. You have no idea the impact you could be making. And that's just one story. I mean, let's be honest. How many more stories like that must there have been that we don't know about? And that's not just the host team. That's each of us coming every week, whether we've got a blue T-shirt and a lanyard on or not, welcoming the new person, welcoming the person on the fringe, stepping out of our comfort zone, saying, you know what, this week I'm not just going to spend the whole meeting chatting to my mates. I'm going to speak to someone new this week. You never know the difference you could make. Generally could change one's life. Freedom, purpose. Thirdly, serving gives you a message. When you serve, you give people the most valuable currency that you have. What's that? Your time. Your time is the most valuable currency you can have. Why? Because you can never get it back. Money, yeah, it's pretty valuable, but you can earn that back. There's not a single person who can ever get back a single second that you've ever spent. So when you spend your time on someone, it says to them, you're valuable. You're worth my time because you have value. I love what Mother Teresa had to say on this. Obviously, one of the most incredible um, servers, the most incredible examples of, of service that we know of in, in recent memory and maybe in human history. But she says this. Mother Teresa said one of the greatest, she said the greatest disease in the West today, it's not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. 
The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love, and there's a hunger for God. When we spend our time on people, we tell them they're loved. What are some practical ways we can do it? Well, here's two that, to be honest, I struggle with, but I'm really trying to grow it, and I'm sure you might be able to relate to these two. First of all, being present when we're with people. Oh, this one's a challenge to me. Being present. When you're talking to that person, not drifting off into thinking of something else, not when you feel that vibration from your phone in your pocket, picking it out and checking the text mid-conversation, not constantly trying to think of how can I talk about myself, being present in what they're saying, truly listening and giving them your attention. That's an act of love. It's an act of service. Secondly, we serve people when we're interruptible when we're willing to drop our plans and be flexible because of a person's need that arises. Again, this is a massive problem in our culture. In London, everything is fast-paced. I mean, go to central London, walk along a road, and stop for a second and feel the amount of people that will bang into your back and probably swear at you. Everyone's moving. Everyone's in a rush. Everyone is filling every minute of every day. Which means when you see that homeless guy... Well, you're probably not going to see him. But if you do, you don't have time to talk to him. When that text comes from the person saying, I'm really going for a rough time, can we meet for coffee? You're looking at your diary and, yeah, I'm free in three, four weeks on a Wednesday between seven and eight. Can you do that? Real challenge for us, real challenge for me. Packing in every minute of every day. But Jesus models something so different. When we look at Jesus' life, he was constantly interruptible. So many stories. I mean, I can list story after story after story. The blind man at the side of the road crying out, heal me, Lord. Jesus stops where he's going to go and help him. A peasant on the side of the road. Jesus got better things, surely. The crowds, the masses. One man on the side of the road. Jesus stopped for. Zacchaeus in the tree, the traitor, the tax collector, hated by the people. Jesus walk along, hears the shout, stops. Interruptible for that man, changes his plan, goes to his house. The woman at the well, lost, broken, rejected by society. Jesus ignores the controversial nature of how he's even talking to her. Interruptible to show her love. That's what serving can do. It says to the person, you have value. You're made in the image of God and you're worth time. You're worth attention. And ultimately, the message of serving is the message of the gospel. When we serve, it's a reflection of the good news, the gospel message of Jesus. The gospel is this. God saw a need. God saw us in need, in our sin, lost. And he didn't just say, I mean, I hope someone sorts that out. No, he stepped out of his comfort zone. He left heaven, humbled himself, and came to earth. He provided the solution in himself. And he didn't just say, well, I'll, I'll kind of give a bit, I'll see what happens, but if you don't respond well, then, hey, you've got to deserve this. He gave everything, even his life. Serving is seeing a need, being willing to meet the need, and give whatever it takes 
for that need. God gave everything. And, and not just for his friends, but for the fringe. Not just for those who would give something back to him, but those who would hurt him. For sinners, Christ died. And you know what for me has been the craziest part of studying the story of Jesus washing the feet? Like I've, I've been reading this story since I had my little cartoon kiddie Bible. Like I, I've been through this story, I know it. But this week something hit me that I never noticed before. And it's that Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet. Which means what? Whose feet did he wash? Judas. Judas. The one who in a matter of minutes was about to leave, betray Jesus and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. And I, I just, I, I picture this moment where Jesus must have been on his knees with a bowl of water and Ju- Judas's feet in his hands. And I mean, just picture it. He's holding the feet of the, the man who's about to walk out and betray him. And I picture this moment where he looks at his hands that washing the feet and pictures the nails that are about to be driven through them as he's pinned to that cross with his scourged back with a crown of thorns on his head. In excruciating pain, he pictures what he's about to experience and then goes back to washing Judas's feet. I mean, what on earth? That is our Jesus. I just, I, I can't get my head around that. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Who do you find too hard to serve? Who do you find it hard to forgive right now? Who's that person who you said, I'll never forgive them? Who, if you had to pray a blessing for someone, would you be like, nah, nah, I can't pray for good in their life. You don't know what they've done. Who do you struggle to serve? The message of the gospel is that Jesus came for all. The outcasts, the poor, the broken, and we who turned our backs on him. That's who Jesus came for. And he says that all of life now, when we follow him, is about loving God and loving others. And another word for loving God is worship. And one of the ways that we worship God is through serving others. Billy Graham, who you might have seen in the news recently, the great evangelist who recently died, said this, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least, you do for me. That's amazing. Whatever you do for the poor, the lost, the lonely, the broken, you're not just doing some good deed. You're doing it as if you were doing it for Jesus in their place. That's how you can show love to Jesus. Incredible. See, God's view of, of success in life and a life, life well lived is so different than ours. So different. How does the world describe success in life? A life well lived. Your qualifications. How good your career is. How wealthy you are. Your house, your car, your attractiveness. Maybe your family. Your number of followers. Your popularity. But God's view of success is completely different, completely upside down. Let me just give you a little insight, a little secret. When you get to heaven, 
Jesus isn't going to be asking how many Twitter followers you had or how many likes were on that Insta post or how much money you were making when you retired or impressed at how good those holidays you went on were. When you get to heaven, you will see him face to face and he will talk to you. But what he says is going to be very different. He's going to say things like, I love that moment when you saw that lonely person and you were chatting to your mates and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go chat to him. Like, this could be uncomfortable, it could be awkward, but I'm going to go talk to him. I loved when you did that. I loved how you, you decided to, to step out and, uh, and pray and worship, even though you know you find that uncomfortable, but you wanted to serve other people with that word I gave you. I love that you did that. I love that you uh, led that community and you used to come home and uh, I remember you doing the Bible studies week in, week out, preparing for it and texting out even though half the group never applied and you kept texting, you kept following up with people. I love that you did that. I love that you campaigned for the, the, the marginalised and the refugees and you, you did all you could to try and help them. I love that. I love that you kept helping that person who never once thanked you and frankly treated you terribly. I love that you did that. I love that you did that, my son. That put a smile on my face, my daughter. I can't wait for that moment. That's what I'm living for. That's what consumes me. Not having some well-paying job or pursuing popularity or finding a wife or pursuing uh, comfort and length of life. If those things happen, then great. I'd love it. I'll take it all. But what I want to consume me is the day where I'll see him face to face. When this life ends and eternity begins, and it will begin with that moment where I'll see him, and I want there to be sweat on my brow and dirt under my fingernails, and I want to look him in the eye and hear him say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to live for. I haven't got time to waste on the, the, the things I've just given so much of my life to in this world. I want to live for, for something more. I want to live for something greater. I want to live for eternity. What about you? Does that consume you too? Do you want to live for that? If so, here's a couple practical steps. How do we serve? Well, I'm sure many people here were just like, maybe a 12-step program. Here's some formula on how you can serve. Just do this. Tick the box. All good. But the first thing that needs to be clear is you don't have to serve. Okay? Let's just get that way before anyone's like, oh, this feels very heavy, John. You don't have to. In Galatians 4, 7, it says, we are no longer slaves but sons. We don't have to earn our way into heaven. You serving more, joining six different serving teams isn't going to make you love, God love you anymore. We're saved by grace. So if you serving is about ticking a box or earning God's love, you've missed it. You don't have to serve. If your question is, do I have to? No. But let me just push back a little bit and say this. If you're asking the question of, do I have to serve? then you might not yet know what God's done in serving you. Because when you see what he's given you, it no longer becomes about what I have to do through obligation, but I want to do out of love. I'm not a slave. I'm a son. This is family business. 
I want to do this. Of course I'm going to say, if I come to this church, like, sign me up. What, 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 where can I be used? Of course I'm going to do that. Because we're sons and daughters of God, of course. And I, I also just want to be really clear and say, this church has some amazing servers. So many of you give in hour after hour, week after week to serve God. I know there's people here who uh, will work busy, busy jobs, come home and start preparing for community. Or come home after a lot of stress and start cutting out paper animals for craft and like prit sticking things onto cups and lollipop sticks and all sorts so the kids work and have some great craft to do. And you would much prefer to sit and watch Netflix, but you choose to serve the kids behind the scenes, never once getting a moment of praise for it. We have some amazing servers. You have people who have chosen to work part-time jobs so that they have extra time to be able to serve in the church. Not because they're minted, but because they want to serve. People who give week in, week out to serve on a Sunday and midweek, it's amazing. This is a family thing. If you ever thought that this church was run by the staff or by the leaders, you've got it completely wrong. This is a family business. We're all in this together, each needing each other, each important, each with a role to play. So you might say, okay, well, if, if we're doing so well, John, then why are we even having this talk like we could have saved a bit of time in, left after the worship? Well, I think it's, it's helpful to have those moments where we take stock of where things are at. Do you know what I mean? Like where you have that pause where you've done things for ages, but you want to think, okay, well, let's just take stock of where I'm at. This is something I do every year with my finances. Like every August, I reflect on the past year. I look to the year forward and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my money? And just because I've been doing something a certain way that I've been happy with doesn't mean that you're not calling me to something more. And I think we can do the same today with serving. But again, like I say, it's not a formula. I can't tell you this is what you have to do because it's about your heart. It's similar to money. It's like with money. You say, well, how much should I give? Well, there's no hard and fast definitely do this because God isn't interested in uh, tithers who give a certain percent. He's interested in generosity, in cheerful givers. So similarly with money, there's principles, but there's also some practical advice. So for example, with money, if you're saying, how do I start with that? A helpful place to start is uh, keep 90%, give 10%, especially if money is tight. But for many, generosity will mean giving way more a percentage than that. It's different depending on your situation and your circumstance, but that's a good place to start. It's the same with serving. We all find ourselves in different seasons and circumstances and availability to serve. But let me just check out some potential ideas for ways that you can get involved if God's stirring your heart and you want to serve. First of all, join a Sunday serving team. There's so much room for you. Now, some weeks, although most not, you might think, this is a slick operation. They're all sorted. They don't need me. Let's be fair, most weeks that doesn't happen, and you see there is still a lot of need. The truth is, there is space for you, whatever your personality you might think, well, I, can't, I can't join a, a kids team or a host team because I'm a, I'm a big introvert and, you know, I, I don't kind of connect with... Well, there's lots of things you can do on the host team. You can be in roles where you can kind of stick to a specific thing that you enjoy doing, that you're comfortable with. There's room for you, whoever you are. The stage team, the peer team, you know what? The guys at the back, probably the, the least uh, kind of recognised in terms of it's all behind the scenes, but play a massive part in serving this church. You can do that. You can play a role. Again, we're, we're creaking out the seams, to be honest. We need more servers, and you can play a vital role. Join a Sunday serving team. 
And again, I'll just say, you don't have to have been around for ages. I know people who've been in the church for a couple of weeks, and I'll come in on a Sunday, and they're, they're shaking hands at the door. I'm like, what? You don't have to graduate into, okay, I can join the host team. Now, there's certain teams, like kids' teams, there's practical things, like, you know, wanting to know you in DBS checks and all that sort of stuff. But you can serve next week. If you want to be on a host team, you've been coming along for a couple of weeks, we'll give you a blue T-shirt, we'll give you a lanyard, we'll give you a bit of training. Get involved. This isn't some slick business. This is family. We're all playing a part. Join a Sunday serving team. Secondly, look at potentially additional uh, serving opportunities. So you might serve faithfully month after month on a serving team. Amazing. And to be honest, for your capacity, that might be all you can offer. That's great. But after tonight, you might be thinking, I'd like to explore other serving opportunities. So maybe serving on a kids team. There's people here you might know who are on the host team, even tonight, who, uh, who come here on Sunday mornings and serve the dozens of kids that meet out the back. You could do that. Serve on a kids team. Maybe come in during the week. We have a parents and toddlers group. You could get involved with that. Uh, uh, the youth on a Friday night. And many of you do that on Tuesday nights. We have a group of older people who have lunch here on a Friday. And I'll tell you this. They love meeting with younger people. I walked in a couple of weeks ago with a student friend who comes to church here, and they were buzzing. We hadn't even spoken to him yet, and the room lit up. You could do that. Someone who literally spends a whole week on their own, you could change their week by having lunch with them, and you get a free meal chucked in just for good measure. So explore ways that you can serve during the, the week, and, and, and on Sunday mornings as well. Food banks, so many opportunities, night shelter, alpha, the list goes on. Check out the community magazine. For others, it's a new mindset on work. Maybe when you're hearing this, you're thinking, like, I can't serve because every hour of my day is completely filled with work, never going to happen. And it's a busy life. A lot of us have long commutes, long hours. It's completely understandable. But let me just encourage you. Maybe take some time in the days ahead to reflect on if you're prioritizing things that are important. It might be that you are, completely. But it might be there's some margin in your life that you can create to open up room for serving and open up room for being flexible when a need arises. New attitude to work. For others, it could be a new mindset on retirement. I'm guessing in this room, there's not tons of people that replies to, applies to, but at some point it will. And for others, it does currently. See, in the culture we live in, retirement is seen as a closing down, isn't it? It's like, okay, finally get to spend all that money I've been making over the decades, hit the golf course, hit the garden, chill out, forget all my responsibilities, turn things down, and just relax till I die. But the kingdom of God is completely different. Retirement doesn't mean a closing down, it means an opening up. You have new opportunities to serve God in ways you could never do before. You've got so much to offer. Why waste decades of wisdom on just hitting a few golf balls every day? Invest in some young people. Go help with a church plan. Move overseas. Do the things that when your boss was texting you every night, getting you to do those late night deadlines you couldn't do. Use your retirement to serve and get to heaven with sweat on your brow and dirt on your fingernails. For others, to be honest, it's just the first step of saying, I want to serve you, Jesus. Maybe you've heard all of this and you're kind of viewing it from the outside and you think, you know, I, 
I'd like to serve and follow and know Jesus. There's no course you have to take. You don't have to fill up a form tonight or prove that you're good enough. No, no, no. You can give your heart to Jesus tonight. Change the rest of your life. It's changed mine, it can change yours. That might be your step. So what's your step? That's the question I'm going to ask you. This whole sermon series is called Move. What's your step? Let's be a church that doesn't just hear things, but does things. Hearers and doers. Let's be open to whatever God wants us to do in response to all that he's done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, when we look at who you are, we're amazed. The thought of you, the king of kings, who one day every knee will bow to, the thought of you getting down and washing dirty feet, Lord. Not just any feet, but the feet of those who would betray you. Jesus, you amaze us. And God, we, we come today not feeling a, a sense of obligation, but just a, an awe of who you are, a love for you. We thank you that serving is a blessing, that you've given this gift to us, that it gives us purpose and freedom and a message to a world that so desperately needs it. May we be those, Lord, that hold nothing back from you. Lord, where there's been certain things where we said, I, I can give so much but not more. Where I can give Sundays but not midweek. Where I can give this amount but not that. Lord, will we be those who say, you have it all, Lord. You tell me what I can keep, but it's all yours. Lord, I ask for wisdom in the, the days ahead about how we can follow you. Lord, I pray where it's... Um, it's, it's hard to know what our next step is, Lord. I ask that you speak to us and we'd be willing to act, willing to move. We say your kingdom come and your will be done. That's our desire, Lord, to serve you, the servant king. What an honor, what a joy. And we, we do it with the anticipation of that one day where we'll see you face to face. Give us that eternal perspective, God. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.